Okay. Welcome to you guys. Um, hope you've really been enjoying the music so far uh, and uh, that you will enjoy our wrapping up of our series in the Gospel of Luke. Now, if you join us today, you would have heard earlier, we are doing Luke. Uh, and today, what we will look at is our reason hope as Christians. Now, it's not a reason hope that is just offered to Christians only, but it's a reason hope that God offers to all who will turn to him. So let me pray for us. Then we will go into God's word. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus. That he came and he lived the life that we couldn't. And that he died the death we deserved. But Lord, he rose. And he rose to life as king of all the universe. So that all who put their faith in him can have all the freedoms he has offered. So Father, as we come to your word today, we pray that you would help us to behold him, to behold the risen king. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My name is Reggie, by the way, if you're joining us. I realize I hadn't introduced myself. Welcome to you if you're joining us for the very first time. I said we are in Luke 24. I'll read the passage for us. Um, I'll read certain sections of it. They should be right behind me, so be ready for that. Luke 24, and we'll begin our reading from verse 26. Listen to what the reading of God's word says. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Pick it up from verse 36. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw his spirit. But he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hand and my feet, that it is I myself. And when he, and when he, so excuse me, let me just pull this closer. Thanks, Dave. See my hands and my feet, that I, it is I myself. Touch me and see me. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are the words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from dead, from the dead, and that repentance for, for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy 
and we're continually in the temple blessing God. This is God's word. So like I said, we are in Luke 24. We will look at that very passage that I've just read. It would be of great help to me if you keep it open. We had hope that he would set us free. We had hoped. These are life-altering words that none of us ever wishes to alter. To utter, rather. So because in them lies the sorrows multiplied like a mirror shattered on the floor. We had hoped. See, these words describe disciples, people who had followed Jesus. They'd seen him teach. They'd seen him perform miracles. They'd believed that he's the one who is expected to bring freedom to the people of God. They'd seen him teach and give people freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from evil spirits. And moreover, they'd also seen him free those who love themselves to begin to love others and be generous towards them. And so you and I can imagine that as they get to Jerusalem, in in chapter 9, verse 51, we are told that Jesus set his eyes towards Jerusalem. You can imagine that as they got to Jerusalem, that there was a tinge of excitement in the air as people expected that he would deliver the freedom they had long awaited for. A freedom they have waited for for so long that they could smell. They would long awaited for this. But as swiftly as Jesus gave up his breath, their excitement turned into despair and fear. All hope was lost and gone. Imagine this. You'd given up your life, your time, your resources to travel with this guy. Some of the women in Luke 8 were told, supported the ministry of Jesus. You have given your entire life to follow him. And then he dies. He's dead. Their hope is now nailed to a cross. And you and I can probably guess that their hearts at this moment are probably as dark and cold as the tomb that Jesus laid in. We had hoped. See, as you read through Luke 23 and 24, you do not get the kind of expectation that the disciples expected Jesus to rise from the dead. doesn't seem like it. The woman in verse 1 to verse 9 go to the tomb out of duty and custom. See, it was duty or custom to go and put spices on the body after a few days. That's why they're going there. Cleopas and the unnamed disciple that he's traveling with, who's probably Mary, his wife, was mentioned in John 19. They are probably going back home. And then the 11 are stuck in in the upper room with the door bolted from top to bottom because they're scared. See, it doesn't seem like there's an expectation that Jesus would rise from death here. And you see, even when they're told that he has risen, even after they've gone to the tomb and seen that the tomb is empty, even when Jesus appears before them and says, look, I am not a ghost, they're still surprised and terrified. They cannot make sense of what they see before them. They thought he's a ghost or a spirit. In the words of Kevin Hart, no, they weren't ready. They weren't, ready to, they weren't ready for that. See, they couldn't make sense of what they see before them. They were surprised and terrified. And my guess is, you and I would be as well. I mean, imagine you go to a funeral. You've buried the guy. 
A few days later, he comes and knocks on your dorm if you're a student and asks for noodles. I mean, like what's going on? But by the way, you've got to say when you read such stories, hashtag not Aflukawu, because you guys know that, you know that story, right? You know that story. But imagine that. The person rises from death and then comes and knocks at your door. It would be surprising. Now we must see so clearly here that Luke wants us to see that Jesus was really dead. He was dead. But now he is alive. See, Jesus was dead. He was not resuscitated, as some people think. That he might have fainted or passed out at the cross, and then at some point the disciples resuscitated him. That's not what happened. But Jesus wasn't buried in the tomb alive as well. You guys know there's people who do that? There's people who bury themselves in the tomb. There's a guy, a Russian guy, who, buried, who asked his friends to bury him. And he said he just needed some time of silence, complete silence, to think. My guess is he was running away from his kids. <laughs> By the way, I love my kids. <laughs> but that's not what happens here. Anyway, I, I must say this. The last time the guy tried the thing, it, it did not work out so well. So I'd say, don't try this at home. But this guy, this is not what happens to Jesus. Jesus is not buried while he's alive and then comes out a little bit later and heals himself. No, he really died. He was dead. But now he is alive. And you see, when you read through the book of Acts, one of the things that you see so clearly is that this event here in Luke 24 changes the lives of these disciples upside down. It completely changes their lives. See, they move from, if you remember the beginning, we had hoped, to we have hope. Now, I don't think you heard me. Let me say that again. They move from, we had hoped, to we have hope. If there's one thing that characterizes the disciples all throughout their ministry in Acts, is that they're bold. They have certainty. They have hope that Jesus has risen. There's a certain certainty and hope that they have as you read all throughout Acts. And it is clear that it is this very event here that has affected their lives, that has changed their lives upside down. Now, I think it is worthwhile at this moment to explain what hope is. Because when you and I often think of hope, we think of hope as being wishful thinking. I hope Bafana Bafana makes it to the World Cup. Not going to happen. But we think of hope as being that, something wishful. We think of it as being that, but it is not. Listen to what John Piper says about describing hope. Listen to it. Hope is certainty. This is what he says. Hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future because of what God has promised. See, hope gets its strength from the faithfulness of God. It is a confident expectation or desire for something good in the future because of what God has promised. And the strength of faith is found in the faithfulness of God. There's a guarantee, a guarantee that this will happen. Imagine you're a student. You apply to an institution to get to study there. It might be Pearson. They send you a letter and say they've accepted you. If you say, I hope to study there, you have a guarantee in front of you. Although you're not there physically yet, and you can't tangibly say, hey, I'm here now, I can feel it. You have a hope, a certainty that is clear. I'll think about it for the guys who work. There's a vacant, promotion, a vacant position at your work, and then they design a spec that fits just you. You've been promised the position. It's a guarantee. It's yours. If you say, I hope to get the position, it's yours. 
I mean, they'll probably do the procedures just so they can say they advertise the position. But you get the point. There's certainty and guarantee in hope. It's not wishful thinking. But what we've got to ask is, how does the resurrection give these believers hope? How did it do that? How did it move them from we had hoped to having hope? Well, let us turn to the passage that we read and see our risen hope. And one of the things we will see so clearly is that our risen hope, our risen hope, brother, is linked to the risen king. Our risen hope is birthed from the risen king. Let's read verse 26 together. And then we'll read verse 46. Verse 26 reads as follows. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Look at verse 46. Verse 46 says, And Jesus said to them, As it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. I'm not sure if you notice the strength in the kind of words that Luke or Jesus uses. Was it not necessary, or as other translations say, did not the Messiah have to? Didn't you know that the Messiah would have to suffer and then enter into glory? And in verse 46, Jesus says, it is written that the Messiah should. And we see the kind of events that need to happen. There is, he needs to come and live the life we couldn't. Then he needs to go and die the death that we deserved, and then rise from the dead. See, as you read through this passage, you pick that up. But for the disciples, this is not something that they truly understood. See, because the kind of king that they expected, the kind of kingdom they expected was the physical kingdom in the, in the, in the now and then. See, they expected Jesus to defeat or dethrone Rome. But Jesus shows them here that he has come to give them true freedom. He has come to give them ultimate freedom. And this is what Luke here wants us to see. And for them to get this ultimate freedom, Jesus needs to suffer and then rise to glory. See, for humanity to receive the promise of freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from evil, and freedom from death, and for humanity to be freed, to not live for themselves, but to live to love others, Jesus must go through a time of humility, humiliation, and then exaltation. Let me explain those. Humi- humility. Jesus must become like his creation. Hebrews, we are told, he must become like his brothers whom he has come to save. The song we sung earlier, he heard humanity's cry. He left the throne to wake as a child. He became like the list of us and lived the life that we couldn't. And then thereafter we are told, then thereafter we need to see that he needs to face humiliation. And by humiliation here, it means he needs to suffer death. He needs to choose a criminal's death, as we sang a little bit earlier. A criminal's end. He needs to die on the cross for us. But last, Luke wants us to see that it is necessary that he rises from the dead. It is necessary that he enters glory. And so this is exaltation. And as we sang a bit earlier, by bearing death, as he rose to life. That's what Jesus did. He buried death as he rose to life. Death could not keep its grips or chains on him. It couldn't. He tore the bars of the prison of death away. Jesus is the original prison break. 
the original prison break. And here's the thing. He ain't going back. And any he is saved have broken free of that prison as well. And that's what, that's what Luke wants us to hear, to see here. That it is necessary for Jesus to suffer. But not just suffer, but to enter into glory. To rise from the dead. And so I think it is worthwhile for us to not only reflect on the death of Jesus on our behalf, as we did on Friday, uh, on Friday. It is worthwhile for us today to reflect on his resurrection and wonder and ask ourselves, what, ha- what does his resurrection bring to us? See, because his resurrection is essential to our freedom. It is essential to our risen hope. Listen to what one commentator says. This commentator says, it is essential... So the resurrection is essential because in the resurrection, Jesus is crowned as king. And as king, he has all authority to give the kind of freedom that he said he has come to bring. He has all authority to do that. Listen to the rest of the quote. The entry into into glory that we see in verse 26 finally should be understood in terms of the notions of Jesus' enthronement in some passages in Luke and Acts. The entry into the glory is the final event where Jesus assumes divine authority. Christ, like no one else, enjoys a special, intimate, and living relationship with God, revealed to some on the, on the occasional time during his ministry, but fully and openly expressed to all in his resurrection as he is enthroned as king. See, the resurrection is not just a tag on to the cross. The resurrection is not just a stamp to say whatever Jesus said about himself before that is true. No, the resurrection crowns or enthrones Jesus as king. See, in the resurrection, we see Jesus being exalted far above everything else. His name is now exalted in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Which is why in Matthew 28, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth, on earth rather, has been given to me. See, this risen king has all authority. He has all power. And this very message is what drives or is the motivation for the apostles in the early church. Listen to Peter in Acts. Peter says this, his first sermon in Acts chapter 2. He says, this Jesus whom you crucified has been made both Lord and King. He has been, exal- he has been exalted to the right hand of the Father. Now, if you know anything about the right hand of God, the right hand of the Father, the Psalms tell us that the right hand of God has won him victory. The right hand of God is exalted. The right hand of God has won him the victory. And so Jesus has been exalted to a position of authority because of his resurrection. Paul in Romans says this, Jesus the King, the Lord, was declared or enthroned as God's Son by the resurrection. See, the resurrection crowns Jesus as king. Jesus, by his his resurrection, is invested with kingly power so that all authority belongs to him. And so when we read in Luke chapter 4, as he stands before a crowd and says to them that he has come as the liberator, he has come to give them freedom, we can be certain that this freedom that he promises is one we will receive because he now has all authority and power to do that. He has the power to give us freedom from sin. He has the power to give us freedom from evil spiritual forces and even freedom from loving ourselves to begin to love others. And so we must be careful again to think of the resurrection as merely as a tag on. It's not. 
It's much more than that. There's more to the story. There's more to the story as a certain bath, tight-wearing shirts, preacher says. I'm not sure if you guys know who I'm talking about. There's more to the story. See, in the resurrection, Jesus is given kingly power. Easter reminds us that Jesus is king. And all the other things we talk about, being saved, him establishing his kingdom, are now true because of that. Jesus is king. See, it is no wonder that these disciples moved from we had hoped to we have hope. See, as Jesus sat with them, we are told he sat with them in this passage a little bit later, but more explicitly in Acts chapter 1, that for 40 days he sat with them and taught them the scriptures. And from there he made them see that he's the king. And if Jesus is king, who can be against us? It doesn't matter who is against us. This is what empowered or emboldened these disciples to live for Jesus. Jesus walked them through the scriptures from Genesis to Malachi, showing them that he is the serpent crusher, that he's the better item, that he is the sacrifice in, 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 in Isaac's place, that he is the better Joseph, that he's the better David, and that actually he is the son that was promised to David. It's not Solomon. It's Jesus ultimately who comes as God's king. See, Jesus is the promised suffering Messiah, but also the warrior who comes to defeat God's enemies. And he defeats them on the cross. And by his resurrection, he, he triumphs over sin, evil, and death by his life, death, and resurrection. Again, our hope is in this risen king. That is where our hope lies. And so when everything else in our life is shaken, we can know. Because Jesus is enthroned and sits on the, on the throne at the moment, nothing can shake us. Not even the difficulty or the uncertainty of death because of the coronavirus. Jesus is sitting on the throne and he has arrested death, as we sang earlier in the morning for those who are here. He has arrested death. He has won his victory over death. Now let me draw out as I close. Three implications from this risen hope or from this risen king. Let me draw out this guarantee we have. Not a 30-day guarantee or a lifetime guarantee. This is a life after life guarantee. Life now after life in the future after death. Or rather, it is life in the future after the life now after death. See, we have a king who has promised us a kingdom to come. Now let me draw three implications for us. The first one that I've said over and again is this. If Jesus is king, then we are free. We're free. Remember that? That song? We're free. Forever we're free. All the freedoms Jesus has promised us are us. We're no longer captives and prisoners to death, evil, and sin because all of them were arrested and conquered by Jesus on the cross. So you and I don't have to fear judgment. We do not have to fear death when we have decided to trust in this king, when we've decided to come and kiss his ring and submit under him, we are free. We're free of all of these things. But two, I want you to notice, the second implication is this. He empowers us today to enjoy this freedom. If you read in the passage, you will notice a little bit later that Jesus tells them to wait until they receive the promise from God. He calls the spirit just a promise. And then we see in Acts 1 that the Spirit is indeed this promise that God has said he would give to them. 
And as you, as you read through this and Acts, you see that the Spirit is there to empower them to witness. But not just that. See, the Spirit of God is there to help you and I to live in, his, in God's kingdom, to live in the way that God has called us to. So if I can use the words from David from last week, see, the Spirit empowers us to enjoy the bread of tomorrow today. The Spirit helps us to have a taste of God's kingdom in the here and now. And this is how, although you and I are freed from the penalty of sin, today you and I still struggle with the presence and power of sin. In Romans, Paul talks about this. Romans 7, he talks about the struggle with sin. Even though he has died with Christ and risen with Christ, even though he has believed in Jesus and the penalty for his sin has been paid, he still struggled with the presence and power of sin. And so do you. And so do I. And you see, the spirit we have been given empowers us to enjoy tomorrow's bread today in this way. The spirit empowers us to fight against sin. God empowers us by his spirit to fight against sin. He empowers us to be able to live for him. And he reminds us over and again that he has forgiven us and that we are his adopted children. That's what his spirit does. But two, this is what the Spirit does as well in giving us a taste, of, a taste of heaven or a taste of the kingdom of, to come or tomorrow's bread today. The Spirit empowers you and I to not live for ourselves, but to be generous, to love our neighbors, to work for justice and fairness. Think of Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus, who encounters Jesus, who encounters his salvation, and this is before Jesus has resurrected, and he changes his life completely. His life is changed. He begins to love and he begins to be generous. And you see, you and I today stand at an even better opportunity because God has given us his spirit to be able to do this well. This is how we have a taste of the kingdom today. The kingdom of God will be time when you and I are spending time loving on each other and showing great generosity to each other. And God's spirit empowers us to to be able to do that now. And third, the spirit assures us to remember to consider that our present suffering in this world cannot be compared to the glory that will be given to us or that the glory that will be revealed in us. And so as we even struggle with sin, as we struggle with suffering, as we struggle with the coronavirus and many other things, loss of, loss of employment and many other things, this is what we should remember. The Spirit empowers us to remember that there's more that God has for us. God has, what God has for us is better. And it gives us to us, even now, but much more and even better in the kingdom to come. And third, the Spirit empowers us to be witnesses of this amazing kingdom, of this amazing King who has risen. If you notice in verse 46, we are told that thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name, to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. See, God's intention, God's desire, God's plan has always been to bring the nations to himself. God's desire has always been to bring people to himself, to bring them to enjoy his kingdom, to live under, to live under Jesus as king. And you see what God does here is he empowers you and I to go out with this message, to share it with others, to show them that there's a better king than themselves, that there's a better king than sin, that there's a better king even than possessions. If you remember the illustration from a little bit earlier from Ty, 
he said, if there's a guy who's built the road and built the car, it's been his entire plan the whole time. Would it not make more sense to let him be the one that drives you? This king has come in order that he would not only redeem us, but begin to renew his world and restore his world. He's moving his world back to where it was under his kingship. Also, I hope you encourage as you think about Easter, that Jesus is king. He's sitting on the throne. He has come to redeem us, to renew us, and to restore his world. But if you're not a Christian today, let me say this. There is no other hope but Jesus. The very statement that I said a little bit earlier, we had hoped, expresses hopelessness. A hopelessness that every person, apart from Jesus, this good king, has. Because here's the thing. How can you make sense of sin? How can you make sense of injustice? How can you make sense of corruption, evil, and death in our world now? I mean, what will bring the change? Will you? I don't think so. The only hope for humanity is this king, the one who has actually come to arrest evil, sin, and death. You can't do it, and I can't do it. All throughout Luke, we have said this. All of us are chained to our sin, whether one admitted or not. We're chained to our sin. We're chained to positions. We're not, in, we're not inclined to love others and to show generosity towards them. We're inclined to love ourselves. And we're also chained by the evil and evil spiritual forces in this world. And we can't do anything about them. But there is a king. Wesha. And he lived a righteous life. A life that you and I should have lived. And then he went to a cross to die. But oh, he did not remain dead. He rose from death. Carrying our freedom in his hand. He carries our freedom in his hand. Come to him and receive this freedom. Let me pray for us. And as I pray for us, if you are not a Christian here this evening, in one sense, you are still the king of your own life. You still sit on your own throne. And you've seen how unhelpful that has been. And perhaps today you have come to see this Jesus. A king who is not only loving, but a king who conquers. And perhaps today you are thinking you'd like to accept this freedom that he offers. Can I ask you to pray this prayer behind me? And then afterwards we will use this card. I'll explain what it's there for. But pray this prayer with me. Say in your heart, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I've committed treason against you. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose carrying my freedom in your hand. And right now, I turn from my sin and open the door of my heart and my life to you. I confess you to be my king.
I'll say the prayer again if you would like to pray it again. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and that I've committed treason against you. I believe you died for my sins and that you rose carrying my freedom in your hands. Right now, I turn from my sins and open, my, and open the door of my life and my heart. I confess you to be my king. If you have prayed that prayer and you're not a Christian here today, can I ask you to fill out this form? I'm going to ask everyone else to do it uh, so that the people who are filling out the form uh, do not feel anxious or anything. I'm going to ask all of us to do it. Can you please put down your name, put down your email, and put down your contact number? Please write clearly. Um, and they have to say whether you've prayed the prayer, whether you'd like to know more. If you'd like to know more, such as joining Christianity Explored that was mentioned a bit earlier, then just tick that. And then please, uh, at the end, also tick whether you enjoyed the service or not. Or whether you've enjoyed the service. Did I say or not? That's David's joke. Whether you've enjoyed the service. And then you can put any other comments there at the very bottom. If you're done with that, just fold it. You can leave it on your chair. We'll come and pick it up. Now as I pray, let me, let me just read again the words of the song we sang a little bit earlier. He who was there, he who was before there was light, walked across the pages of time. He who made every living, every living thing, behold him now. He who heard humanity's cry, left his throne to wake as a child. He became like the least of us to live the life we should have. Jesus, the son of God, Messiah, the lamb, the roaring lion. Oh, be still and behold him now. He who chose a criminal's end, paid with blood to settle our debt, buried death as he rose to life. Behold him now. Jesus, the son of God, Messiah, the lamb, the roaring lion. Oh, be still and behold him. Amen.